the power of attorney. Love Talk Radio. Gilbert, who's uh, under the weather, 
for all those in the Tampa Bay area who know Tommy, uh, uh, we're asking you to you give me just think a good thought or a prayer for him uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, he's had some um, some heart trouble, so um, he's in uh, Oak Hill Hospital, and um, but unable to receive calls. So we just want to let everybody know. Um, we're praying for him, Frank. Yeah, we sure are. He's had, he's had a battle. Indeed, I'm we sorry. are. He is. He has really battled over the last couple of months, actually, the last six months. And so you're right, Frank. All we do is worry and uh, and hope for the best. The doctors are treating him as best they can. And another night of sports talk on a Wednesday night. It should be a lot of fun. And is Roy up there yet or no? I am indeed. I am indeed. Roy's yes. There. Uh, best wishes to Tommy. Uh, I know he'll pull through. He always does. He's a fighter. Uh, he's got a heart of gold, that kid, and uh, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Well, we've got a lot to talk about, a lot of good things. And, uh, of course, last night's game after the great two series that the Rays played, he came up with a tough one last night. But you also saw a good game, you know, with the <clears throat> with the Buccaneers on Sunday. So let, let's start with the, let's start with the World Series. That's the key point. And uh, tonight is a very, very big night uh uh, again, you and I talked the last time in the seven-game series about how big game two was, and I think it really is a big game tonight for the Rays. Yeah, I agree with you. It's uh, Look, you lose the first game when you lose kind of, you know, the way the Rays did. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say they weren't competitive, but clearly uh, L.A. and those bats were just uh, superior by far. And uh, certainly got the superior pitching um, out of out of uh, Clayton Kershaw. You know, it makes you think, hey, this could be a short series. But look, uh, the Rays didn't get here by uh, by cowering to, to to better teams or teams that might look you know better on paper or anything like that. The Rays got here because they uh, they have everything you need to win, no matter how far down you might feel you are in a game or in a series. So. Uh, uh, you know, here we here we go, and uh, let's see what they can get out of Blake Snell. They need the best game Blake Snell has pitched since he won the uh, Cy Young Award uh, two years ago. He, Blake Snell has not pitched at that level uh, anywhere close to it this year. He struggles to get through five innings. Um, they can't have that tonight. Even with a day off tomorrow, um, they, they just can't keep going to the bullpen and, and leaning on that. I think they've got to get some really good starts out of their pitchers. Uh, can't wait for Charlie Morton to do it in game three. Uh, Tyler Glasnow last night, I thought, I'm not going to say he was squeezed by the umpire, but, you know, he lost some uh, some calls. He didn't get some calls that I think a lot of pitchers would want, you know, right on the border. And uh, and it ended up costing him. To be honest, I, I think the biggest situation last night in game one was uh, the attempt to throw out Mookie Betts at home uh, with the infield in at third and the, in the, what, the fifth, fourth or fifth inning there, uh, those middle innings, and because that, that just opened the doors to a four-run inning, and the Rays just weren't able to uh, to bounce back. You'd love to see the Rays kind of get back to playing their kind of ball offensively too, guys. Um, this is a team that, that did a lot of hitting and running, uh, a lot of positional-type uh, things uh, uh, offensively, took advantage of uh, weak arms when, when, you know, when they were up against them, didn't really rely on the home run. Um, but right now, that's that's really all where their offense is coming from. It's all coming from home runs, and that's not the Rays' way. Uh, I think the Rays have to get back to winning the Rays' way. It's easy to do. You get out there, you get you play good defense, you get good pitching, you hit the ball, 
You, you, you single and double them to death and hit and run them to death. And uh, they can do it. Uh, we'll see how they do tonight against Tony Gonsolin. Uh, I like the race chances, but uh, Blake Snell's got to really uh, – he's, he's got to be the foundation. He's got to do, uh, do his job tonight and give him six innings well, strong, if not seven. Well, before we get to Roger Henler and the King of Pressure, just outside of Philadelphia, just one comment. Uh, the play at the plate was uh, just a mental error. You can't, you can't be uh, making that move to your right and try to throw across your body and get a guy out at the plate. You got to take the out at first base and forget about what happened at home. They didn't do that, and uh, that was one of the key points that really hurt them. Uh, they didn't accept the. Uh, they didn't accept trying to make a play that was almost impossible. And uh, Betts, boy, he's really proven that <laughs> he's earning the money that he's getting from the Dodgers. Now, Roger Hedler, let's get you in here. Did you see uh, the World Series last night? And we'll talk I, about I, that, I and then we'll get to football. Okay, I most certainly did. And, of course, uh, you know, we uh, have you back with us, Don. Mr. Big, as uh, Bill uh, <laughs> yeah. Warrenfeld said last week. Right, Frank? Right. That's right. <laughs> so, anyway, I did. And I was hoping it was going to be the Braves uh, instead of the Dodgers against the uh, Rays. Uh, because I'll tell you what, those uh, uh, LCSs really kept me up late. And, uh, of course, the World Series is going to keep me up late, too. But uh, I, I do think that the Rays will come back. And, uh, you know, the Dodgers, uh, what, I think it's, what, 88? Uh, since the uh, last time they, uh, they won, isn't it 88, I think? And yeah. uh, I mean, yep. the yep. Uh, championship. Yeah. And uh, so and they've got a uh, – Roy, you're right. You got, they got a big uh, – a, a lot of money invested in that, uh, uh, that team, but – if the Rays play their ball, their brand of ball, I think that uh, they'll be fine. Yeah, one of the things I, that I surprised agree. me, Roy, maybe you'd uh, comment on that too. Uh, Bellinger separated his shoulder on the last game of the regular season. He did have one, uh, uh, or dislocated, I should say, separate. That's a much more serious injury. But uh, they flipped it back in, and he was there to play last night, hit a home run. And yeah. uh, I was amazed after that happening, they get into all that kicking stuff after the, after the home run. Uh, I I just can't understand what's going on in baseball now. <laughs> I, I to be honest, I, guys, I think the kicking. I, first of all, I kind of like it. Uh, it's different. <laughs> um, you know, I think baseball players, I think all athletes, uh, they they got a lot of downtime, so I think they look for different ways to celebrate things. But I think the kicking was probably a result of the fact that. Uh, uh, Ballinger, you know, did separate the shoulder yet again, celebrating the home run the night before, the game before, I should say. And uh, this is like, okay, let, let's avoid, you know, raising our arms for this, doing the elbow thing or anything like that, bashing uh, forearms. Let's just uh, let, let's just give each other a quick little kick there uh, to, to save the arms. So uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of uh, unique and uh, interesting, and I kind of like it. I'm, I'm sure people will catch on to it. It'll become the new thing in baseball, at least, uh, for people to kick like that <laughs> to celebrate a uh, good play or something. I, I kind of like it, to be honest. Frank, did you have any uh, chance to see the game last night? Or you work sometimes uh, during game time. Did you have a chance to see anything, yeah, any input? I, I was on duty all night last night, but I did uh, get a chance to uh, stop and take a look in uh, one of the substations at, uh, at, for a few minutes. Um, I was uh, – I was quite um, set back, I think. The 
the um, the bats just went to went to sleep for the um, Rays, but they've done that in in the playoffs. I think they are going to be explosive uh, coming in. And, and listen to these kids. The neat thing with this team, none of these at the lowest uh, uh, pay payroll. It's got the youngest uh, group of uh, players out there, and they're resilient. I mean, you know, yeah. we've had a we've had a chance. The instructional league here is uh, for the for the Oriole is in uh, has been in since uh, uh, the first of October, and I've had a chance to look at some of them and uh, listen to uh, to uh, Ken Quarles, who's going to be on with us next week, who's the director of uh, their farm team, um, and uh, watch these guys. Um, the the it, it, it's amazing, you know. You look at these kids; they look like, uh, well, to me, they look like uh, kids, and they are. Um, but I think that they have the the accomplishment behind them of of getting there. They've got the will to win, and you see that every night. And they have a, a um, manager who is just in, enjoying this whole thing. You know, I love I love Joe Madden, but I think that that, that Cash has done a. Uh, a hell of a lot better job right now uh, in getting them there and getting them ready for this. And I think they will, uh, they'll bring that, uh, that trophy home to, uh, to St. Pete. Frank, you touched on something really interesting there, Frank. Yeah. Thanks, Don. Uh, you touched on something very interesting there about the bats uh, coming to life. They, they haven't really done that here much in the postseason. I mean, yes, the, the Rays have had some big power bats, um, but they basically offensively uh, been carried by, Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, a rookie, Randy Arozarena, and uh, Mike Zanino, who is not known for his bat. In fact, he's known for, you know, basically overswinging um, mm-hmm. as an offensive player. There's, there's a lot of good bats on this team. Brandon Lau uh, is certainly one. Uh, G-Man Choi is one. Yandy Diaz is another. Uh, there are, you know, Meadows, uh, Renfro. These guys can hit. They haven't hit in the, in the postseason. If that changes, you could see the Rays win, uh, you know, knock out eight, ten, you know, runs a game. Uh, it'd be nice if that started tonight. Uh, and I, I think the key is, can somebody somehow get those other bats, those guys, uh, Lau, uh, Renfro, uh, Meadows, can they get those guys, Yandy Diaz, can they get them to settle down and just go back to doing what they were doing? They're looking for those bats to come to life. And if they do, um, you, you could you could absolutely see the Rays uh, roll off three, four wins in a row in this series. Well, Roy, I have to agree with you there. I think that uh, one of the things you point out and really came to place in the first two series was the bottom of the order was really a big part of what happened. And Rosarina and uh, Joel Sherman had a big piece in a post about is this, uh, he, is he going to prove to be another superstar in Major League Baseball because he didn't come up, as you know, until <laughs> – just before the playoffs and had a tremendous series in the late championship series. Is he going to be able to do that in the World Series? Uh, we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, look, it's uh, we don't know. But right now, Randy Rosarina is building up an awful lot of confidence. You know, as it is with baseball, it's always a matter of how well do you adjust to what other pitchers are doing. We've seen him adjust pretty well inside of long series already he did it against houston obviously um you know he's he if he does it here again it's going to be a pretty good uh, indication that this kid's uh kid's got all the tools he's building confidence right now and he's going to go into the off season uh feeling really good about himself 
and uh, that's a great foundation to build on uh, as you go. And he'll probably play a little winter ball uh, this year. Um, hey, he's young enough. He, he could be in the instructional league in Arizona for the Rays, uh, but he could come back and be uh, – yeah, he's, he's one of those guys that uh, is right on the precipice of becoming a superstar. Boy, it would be a lot of fun for the Rays if they could have him around as such uh, over the next couple of years. Just hey, a uh, sidebar I think, before uh, I get back to Roger. Uh, call the Yankees, I think you to Yankees canceled their their uh, uh, winter league games. They're, they're not gonna they're not gonna have a uh, a team in Arizona or whatever. So uh, and I guess some of the other teams will probably follow suit. But Roger, let's get back to you. Go ahead. Well, the um, I, there's a lot uh, a lot there uh, if, if you brought up, uh, but I, I just uh, I, I think somebody else is on the line with us. Uh, hello, but anyway, the um, I I think that uh, hello. So we, everybody, all of you guys have said hello. Don, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, there's some, you, there was some other voice. Uh, did we lose you know, Roy? Saying, Roy, are you nope, there? I'm here. Nope. I'm okay. Here. Well, I'm I here. was hearing some other voice. Uh, hello, but anyway, um, I, I as I said, I just think that they're going to get uh, on track. And uh, get straightened out because uh, watching them in the uh, playoffs and and uh, Cash, I think he's a great manager, uh, and I and I agree uh, with uh, Frank that I think that uh, he is better suited for this team. That I mean, Joe Madden did a great job. Don't get me wrong, but th- this this guy is great, uh, just a tremendous manager, and the way he handles this young team and. Uh, and and the uh, the players and I'm with you, Roy. Uh, I love uh, Charlie. I just wish the Phillies had kept him uh, when they had him. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I don't think Kevin Cash gets enough credit nationally for the job he's done. Um, look, it, you know the Rays have to play a different brand of baseball than other teams. They can't just wait for three runovers. They've had a, a bunch of them here at the playoffs, but it's usually not how they win. Um, they have to win uh, by, by, by good pitching, good defense, um, and that's where management comes in. You know, you man- I don't know that he managed uh, so well last night bringing the infield in, uh, but I could see that, you know, I, you know in, that, in that fourth, fifth inning there, uh, you know, where they got the four runs starting with the best play. But I can see why he had to do it. Um, you, you feel, look, Kershaw's on tonight. We're probably not going to hit him very well. Uh, we'll be lucky to scratch out two, three runs you know, if he goes seven or eight innings here. So, um, you know, the key is, uh, um, so, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if at the end of the day, uh, you know, he, he's become one of the better managers in the game. And, and that's the bottom line here is he knows exactly what he's doing and uh, he doesn't get enough credit for it because he's managing a team with the, one of the lowest payrolls in uh, in baseball. Frank says we have a caller on the line that wants to talk about it. So, uh, Frank, uh, you didn't give me his name, but uh, put him up on the line. Let's hear what he has to say. He's on, Don. Hey, guys. How you doing? Um, I, I Just so Great. you know, I was on your call screener. Um, I'm actually calling you from my live YouTube stream. Um, it's a very popular page with over 23 million people, so you are live on my stream. Um, and I'm not prank calling you or anything like that. Go ahead. Maybe it's me, but I have no idea what you said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, I was saying you have a, a, a comment? Do you have a comment? Uh, a yes, question? I had a, 
Yeah, I actually had a topic I want to bring up. I was asking your screener, are all topics welcome? Uh, can I give you a different topic? Well, we uh, talk sports. Right, a sports topic. I have a sports topic for you. I'll, I'll tell you, we've got to pass on this call, Frank. Okay. Let's, let's, let's go back. You don't know how to run a program. You wasted my time. Let's 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 go back and switch to go, uh, go back and switch call. to switch yep. to to football. And uh, I know Roger, you're happy Atlanta finally got a win. And uh, yeah, right. of course, right down right down here uh, at Raymond James, and uh, what a, what a nice outing it was for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Roy, you covered them for what 18, 20 years. So uh, give us your input on how they're coming along and and what they're doing. Well over 20 years I've been covering them. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, this team has uh, the, the biggest story about the Bucks. You know, everybody talks about, you know, Tom Brady coming, Gronk coming. Uh, we shouldn't, you know, the offense we knew was going to be good. I mean, let's, we, I, I've said all along, it's, it's not like the Bucks really needed to add anything offensively. Uh, you know, they were in the top three in the league in scoring a year ago. They're in the top three in the league in scoring now. Um, they're doing it much more efficiently instead of, you know, throwing the ball away and giving the other team, uh, you know, uh, two, three scores a game. They're, uh, they're holding back on that. But the story of this team right now is the defense. It has really come alive and in a way that um, I don't think a lot of people expected. Look, there was a lot of talk about the defense being better, and, and, and it should, should have been. But I don't think you expected to see a Buccaneers team blitz the way this Buccaneers team did. This is completely different than what the Buccaneers were like under Monty Kiffin uh, and John Gruden and Tony Dungy. Those teams played cover two, basically let you go 80 yards, thinking that somewhere along the line in a, you know, eight to 12 play drive, you're going to make a mistake and we're going to take advantage and, uh, and get you off the field or force a field goal. Um, this defense attacks. Uh, that defense did not attack. It kind of, sat back and waited for you to make a mistake. This team forces mistakes uh, by attacking the quarterback in the line of scrimmage. And uh, they've got the young linebackers to do it. Uh, they've got the, the secondary that uh, helps because they're good in coverage. Uh, they're going to get burned, and they have been, and they're still learning. But um, the veterans up front are, are holding the line and creating uh, play opportunities for uh, guys like Devin White, Levante David, and uh, and it's happening. It's happening in a big way. I, I don't. I think Aaron Rodgers was completely befuddled on what uh, he saw from the Bucks last week. It, it didn't. You know, some of it is what we've seen on tape, but a lot of it I, I don't think he's seen before, and he didn't expect it. And uh, anxious to see where it goes from here because this team's got all the pieces you need um, to make a long run, guys. Well, Roger, we saw the defense coordinator here when he was at Temple University, and then of course. Unfortunately, when he got to the Jets as the head coach, he didn't have any personnel to play with, as has been proven out again this year. They're just a terrible right. team. That's right. But uh, he, he came in here at Tampa and reunited with another Temple head coach. And, uh, boy, they've done a wonderful, wonderful job. Well, they sure have. And uh, you got to give him, uh, you know, Bruce, a lot of credit. Uh, I, I just, we, You and I have always, because we've known him, you know, for years, that just think the world of them. And uh, uh, I, 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 congratulations to uh, the Bucks for uh, hiring him. And uh, of course, a former Bucks coach, Raheem Morris, is now coaching the Falcons. They got their first uh, win in the, the topic today at 92 9, the uh, game, which is the uh, flagship for the Falcons. 
uh, one of the uh, stories was, is Raheem Morris uh, capable or will he uh, be uh, acknowledged uh, if he, uh, I think as Arthur Blank was quoted as saying, if he goes 11-0, and uh, uh, being considered to be the head coach because, you know, there's a lot of speculation that uh, they may go after a big-name college coach, but but who knows? I mean, it's way too early to speculate. Uh, and then, of course, up here, the uh, Eagles and uh, the Giants play tomorrow night, and the NFC least, as Merle Reese is, uh, calls it, <laughs> is the NFC least. Uh, it's, it's bad. When we think about in the past, uh, the old days of the NFC East, which was, uh, if not the best, one of the best uh, in in the NFL. And I go back, you know, Parcells and in that time, uh, uh, Buddy Ryan. It's totally different. I mean, this uh, NFC East is really bad. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. The Eagles can uh, – one prediction is that they can be, uh, what is it, five uh, – five, uh, uh, whatever it was, uh, uh, five, say five, uh, 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 10 and, and one or I, I think that's what it was. Somebody said that and they could win the, uh, uh, the division. That's unbelievable. Not that it's going to happen, but for people to even call in and speculate on that. Well, I think one of the things is that, uh, there's been times when like Washington has gone through a long drought of not having a good team and not even really having a competitive team. And then, but now you got the Giants with nobody. You got, you know, you got the Eagles, which are really struggling, and uh, they're a four-point favorite at home against the Giants tomorrow night. So that's not much of a reading on Eagle or the Eagles no, either. No. And uh, so you're right. It's it's the the, the division of the East I and mean, uh, the least. I mean, they're terrible. But let's go back to the Buccaneers, Roy, for a second, uh, as we look at the their division and what they're going to be doing. How do you see the future? Well, I, I see the Buccaneers. Look, they're riding a wave of momentum right now. Um, other teams uh, are making a lot of mistakes in front of them. Uh, it looks like, you know, they, they might, uh, it looks like the Raiders might be compromised for Sunday night's game. Uh, we'll see if it's even played, but uh, they've already got lost one player with COVID uh, five others, uh, five linemen had to be sent, offensive linemen had to be sent home today. They're going to probably have some trouble practicing. Things are working out for the Buccaneers. I mean, everything's going their way right now. Um, if they stay healthy, guys, you're looking at one of the three best teams in the NFL. Uh, as I said, the pieces are all there. Uh, the defense is uh, attacking people. The offense is uh, uh, virtually, I won't say it's unstoppable, but it's uh, it's close. I mean, they can – they can pretty much score at will if they need to, and the running game is coming along. I mean, you know, one thing they've done here, guys, the Buccaneers, the biggest concern I think a lot of people had about the Bucs, uh, I know I did, the depth. Um, there's plenty of depth at t- tight end. There's plenty of depth at wide receiver. Actually, pretty good depth at running back as well. Um, but you know what? They've been tested in all those areas already. They're out. They're number one tight end. Uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have either missed games or played hurt in games. Um, it hasn't affected them. They didn't have Leonard Fournette last week. It didn't bother them a bit. Um, they, they've gone, you know, without a, a lot of uh, support uh, for their top players or without their top players and won anyway. They lost Vita Vea on the defensive line, who's, you know, arguably their best defensive lineman, I would say. Um, and he's a big part of their uh, their rush defense. And yet it didn't affect them at all. 
um, they only got better. As I said, they attacked instead of waiting for people to come at them. Um, so they've adjusted well to the injuries. And to me, that's an incredible sign looking ahead for this team is that if they can win the way they're winning, the way they've won the last couple of games here, uh, where they've, you know, they've struggled early on, but then they've bounced back, been resilient, and really played at a high level over the course of the last two, three quarters, um, and, and basically you know, wiped people off the board uh, in good teams, too. Um, you know, right. It just tells you that, that this, team, this team is going to watch out. Hey, Roy, I got a question for you real quick. I know before you got to yeah. get, get off to go to dinner. How much do you think uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the change in uh, quarterback, um, I mean, with Tom Brady, how much do you think he has had on discipline on the team, keeping them focused, maybe not getting sidetracked to where they can go out into clubs and things like that? Yeah, I think I think he's probably had a lot to do with that. You know, look, there's an old theory in sports is that uh, the players uh, will, will end up, you know, listening to their to their fellow players a little bit more than they'll listen to their coaches. Yeah, they listen to their coaches, of course they do. Um, but if you got a player who uh, you know who's holding you accountable, if you've got a, a veteran, the caliber of a Tom Brady holding you accountable and saying, hey, nobody's doing this tonight, all right? Everybody home, in bed by 10 o'clock. We're up in the morning. We're back at it tomorrow. Go out, get yourself a nice dinner, but no uh, no partying, no none of this, none of that. Uh, this, is how, this is how you win football. You're going to listen to Tom Brady. If you care mm-hmm. about winning, you're going to listen to Tom Brady because obviously he's been there. He knows the formula. And um, not that Bruce Arians doesn't, not that uh, Todd Bowles doesn't. They know the formula too but it's different coming from a player because he's right inside that locker room and he's staring you down every day. Uh, the coach is going to get mad at you no matter what. That's his job. Um, but mm-hmm. if you lose the respect of a, of a player, uh, that's who those guys play for. They play for their, for, for their, you know, for their fellow teammates. And if you lose the respect of uh, somebody like Tom Brady, you may as well consider yourself done. So I would say that Tom Brady uh, has had a big uh, say in, in how this team is playing because of how it's performing and, and, and acting off the field. Well, one last question before we get to Larry Litwin, and uh, that, that is uh, one last observation, which I agree with 100%. Roy, they are an attacking defense. I mean, no matter whether they play a three-man line, whether they play whatever they do, they attack, whether it's from the outside, whether it's from the inside. And that is certainly when you're watching football, uh, you know, that's a great part of the game to watch. I mean, I'm a great defensive guy. I, I like to see defense as much. I don't want to see 55 points a game. That's not something that I really am interested in. So I, I think they've done a great job in changing the uh, defense to an attacking defense. I think you're right. Yeah, they really have, and I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. Look, as I said, it's, it's fun here in Tampa to see it because – it's again, it's something that the Tampa fans aren't used to. This was, you know, for more than a generation, almost two generations, this was a, a, a cover two football team. Um, it was a sit back, wait for the other team to make a mistake kind of team, and then uh, capitalize, holding the 17, give us 17 points, we'll take care of the rest. Right. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. This defense is going out, it's dictating the terms every Sunday, and that is something that I think teams facing the Buccaneers aren't used to aren't used to seeing and they're having a hard time adjusting to it. 
Well, enjoy your dinner. Once again, a great half hour, and uh, look forward to next week as well. Uh, have a great week, and enjoy the World Series tonight as well. Thanks a lot, Roy. You know I will, Thanks, guys. Frank, we'll talk Roy. about it all again next have week. Thanks, week. guys. Appreciate it. Have a great week. Thank you. Now, now we're going to swing over. Let me, first of all, before we uh, begin this half hour, Larry will want to be our first guest. And uh, I know a lot of people across the country are not going to be familiar with the person that we're talking about. Uh, because we're talking about an icon in Philadelphia, but not necessarily an icon around the world. Uh, and we'll explain that as we go along. Larry Litwin, first of all, welcome to the show, and uh, we're looking forward to tonight's 15 or 20 minutes. All right, Don, thanks for having me, and uh, hello, everybody. Hey, Larry, good to have you here. Hey, Raj. Let's, ex- let's explain uh, Jack Shore. A lot of people call him Jackie for all these years. And uh, Jackie was a legend. Uh, you know, people talk about Paul Arizon, Will Chamberlain, and they were legends in Philadelphia, uh, very obvious legends. But Jack Shore is a legend in Philadelphia, but unknown by the general public. Tell us about Jack Shore. Well, Don, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Jackie because I called him Jackie for years. And then, oh, I don't <laughs> so know, 15, I. 15, 20 years ago, he said, uh, uh, my name is Jack. This is, I mean, and he said it sort of tongue-in-cheek, and from that day forward, I called him Jack. Well, Jack, I, I knew, as you did, I'm sure, knew him probably for, I, I'm, I was trying to think back, five decades, at least 50 years. So gives you an idea of how long we've, we've been around. And you, you couldn't cover or go to a game of any kind in Philadelphia, whether it be uh, a ball game or some other sport. Uh, uh, and there was Jack Shore. And Jack, when I first met him, he was working for Associated Press, which he worked for for his entire life. And he he really, in the beginning, was a backup to another legend, Ralph Bernstein, who was the Associated Press sports editor in Philadelphia. But Jack covered uh, every every sport, every team in Philadelphia. And if you went to a game, he was either on the sidelines or he was at, at the side of the court or he was in the press box for football and baseball. And there are just so many things. And, and to give folks uh, just a, a flavor, not only – he was a real student of the game. In fact, we used to always kid because Jack knew more trivia about more sports – and probably forgot more than most of us most of us know. But on top of everything else, we knew he was ill. In fact, we had a Philadelphia sports writers meeting just before the pandemic, and Jack was there, and and uh, he said he wasn't doing too well, so on and so forth. Uh, but we move that aside, and I know we say this when someone passes on, but I worked so closely with him as I'm sure you did too, Don and Raj, and because he he was he. He was never home for dinner. We, we can talk about that because he That's covered right. every he covered every team. But he was truly, when I was asked the question by a reporter late last week when when we heard he was had taken a turn for the worst, I said, a he was a gentleman, and and again, not just saying it because he's passed, but he was always a gentleman. I never heard a foul word come out of his mouth. He was a great family man. I've been in touch with with Gail, his daughter, and, and uh, some other family members the last few days. He certainly was a friend, but he was a what I refer to as a really Philly sports treasure because mm-hmm. that was his entire 
life as as back in the days of sports journalism for most of us that's what we did and the reason i said uh, uh, i i was i used to kid him and say do you ever eat dinner at home and he would laugh and no for the most part because back in those days the owners of the teams would fee the members of the media who were allowed to eat the food without paying it was a different time right. but jack was never home his daughter said she grew up the only time he might be home is if there were uh if let's say we're the winner if both teams were away or both the basketball and and the hockey team uh, had the night off uh, or and the colleges weren't playing so it gives you an idea well you know one of the other uh, points about jack Larry and and Don and and Frank, of course, you know, people in Philadelphia uh, have read a lot about his passing and about his uh, credentials, his career. But the the, uh, he was big into big five basketball. Mm, Yes. And the the one thing that I found as a treasure, Larry, as you acknowledged it and described it, he had a key to the palestra. (laughs) So if he wanted to go in and have a pickup game, Jack was going to get in there. And I saw that one picture of him uh, out on the court. But Mm -hmm. all of us that grew up in the area, the Palestra is a treasure. I know people around the country have heard about it if they haven't been there. And I used to go there a lot. I've been in high school. I went to a lot of games. And matter of fact, uh, my high school – uh, when I was in ninth grade, uh, won the state championship, Haverford High School, and they had some really, uh, you know, great players that went on to college, Al Camerlin at Princeton. But I, the Palestra was special, and my late wife and I, my uh, wife, we've all been there and spent so much time, but Jack Shore had a key, his own personal key to the Palestra. I think well, that tells you the story. Well, well Roger, it's, it's interesting because – uh, and, and Mike Jensen wrote a terrific piece in the Inquirer, and he, he, he had a line in there, so I couldn't use it when I sent the uh, notice out to the members of the Philadelphia sports writers. He's, gonna, together... he's going to join us in just a second, Larry. He's going to join us a quarter after. Oh, good, good, good. So, and you can stay uh, with so him, I'm not, Larry. I, I'm not stealing anything from him. Um, in fact, uh, <laughs> when, I sent, when I sent the information out, I said, you know what? I, I put it right, right in, in the notice I sent out to the sports writers. That Mike Mike said it all, so I said I'm not even going to ask permission, but I hope it's okay if I, I run the story that was in the Philadelphia Inquirer. But Jack Shore played more minutes in the Palestra than anyone else. He probably was the leading scorer in the history of the Palestra, and he was in more games because whenever he had any time, he would get a pickup game together at the Palestra and – it was his 75th birthday. In fact, I found the – don't ask me, but I found the invitation for that night, and it was a surprise party. And I don't know if, if you two were there, but it was so – it was just so wonderful because here we are in the palestra, and in walks Jack and his family, and it was a surprise party, and it was just great. And somebody handed him a basketball – and it was, I'm not going to say it was from half court, but not far in front of it, and took a shot and swoosh. Took a, he had a two-hand set shot. <laughs> and wow. uh, right, in, right in off the street, and <laughs> he thought he was coming to someone else's 
party because of the way the family had it planned. Um, and, and and you said it you said it right, Raj. He had he had a king. In fact, one of the funny stories is, and uh, and I I don't know if Mike had this in his story or someone else did, but uh, he would get there early. And he, I was just telling a couple of other sports people before we got on the phone. He drove up and he parked uh, on inside of Franklin Field, but the back door to the palestra. And he did have a key, so he unlocked the door and walks in. And there was a, a we'll call it a renegade. The gentleman didn't didn't recognize Jack, and he said, "Oh, sir," he said, "you can't come in here without a pass." And that's when he said, "He said a pass." He said, "I don't need a pass. I've got a key." And uh, so, so uh, I mean, he was he was a staple at all sports events in Philadelphia because this is how Jack Shore earned his living, and I mean that in the in the best sense. And even even some of the minor sports, if he had a day when he didn't have to cover a major college game, and when I say major, I don't mean it had to be a big school. It could be um, it could be a Haverford. Uh, college and or whatever he was covering because um, if it were a story, Associated Press he would write it and and back in those days as we know you certainly earned your money writing the story but if the story went uh, regional or national you made a little bit of extra money so Jack right, was out right. and uh, every night I was doing something we used to call freelancing or stringing back in the early days and and uh, Jack was one of the people and I'll never forget some said. If you want to, if you want to make sure you make some money tonight, just follow Jack Shore around because he'll get you. Once he does the interview, he'll you can do an interview, and that's that's what I did. I followed people around. Uh, Jack, he was a few years older than me, but if I saw him, I was in his pocket. <laughs> Not to take well, money, I mean, yeah. in his pocket to get the interview. <laughs> right. Well, I well, think the other thing was in the article that you wrote that we all got from the, some of his sports writers. Uh, I don't think it was Mike. I think it was you that speculated that he had seen something like 2,500 games yes. uh, at the Palestra. Was that, it was in your column, wasn't it? I, no, I, th- I think Mike, Mike did that, and we were figuring out tonight that it could have been as many as 3,000 when you, when you consider – cons- oh, I'm sorry, that he played in 3,000 games. Uh, that was the other thing, that, that he may have put together almost 3,000 games because they would have at least one pickup game a week – and you figure he was he was around for more than fifty years. He actually he actually it was closer to seventy years that he was doing pickup games at the Palestra. So you figure if that's one game a week, you're around three thousand games. <laughs> well, you know, I, yeah, I was talking. To, I'm looking at the picture of him right now uh, that was uh, on uh, Mike's column. All Star oh, Labor picture. Classic number five. Comcast. Yes. But, you know, one of the, uh, the uh, AP uh, correspondents now that I think the world up is Rob Marty. Yes. And he's also on 97.5, uh, the fanatic. But I've known him since he was young. And he's, you know, a family man. He's just a great guy. And he was saying that I, I think he said he had covered like a thousand games with Jack. Jeez. And you know, Rob's, Rob's a pretty young guy. I think he's, yes. uh, he's got twin girls. And and I remember seeing him at the Atlanta airport on their way to uh, Disney World one time. Well, a, a thousand games when you start in ten years, you know, you're talking about if you had eighty-one Phillies games, if you had uh, mm-hmm. sixteen, you have forty-sixers. Uh, that all adds up, so that could be a thousand games. 
Absolutely. You know, very easily. But by the, uh, he just – go ahead. No, I was going to say, go by ahead, the way, Larry. I don't want to forget this because I, I marked it down. I talked to uh, his family this weekend and the Philadelphia well, sports let's, writers. Uh, let's, take a, let's take a moment, too, to say that uh, for some of the folks that are just joining us around the country, we're talking to Larry Litwin, uh, who really is uh, – he, he pretty much runs the sports writers. <laughs> He's on the board of directors, board of governors. He does everything and has worked in Philadelphia and uh, the markets uh, – all news at KYW and a little bit of everything else. And now is at a university uh, outside of Philadelphia. And we're talking about a fellow by the name of Jack Shore, who most people had not heard of. And we're trying to sort of amplify for everybody uh, what Jack Shore really did and what he meant to Philadelphia and how many games that he covered and what he did, because he was a very, very unique person. And uh, Larry, uh, I, I just don't think that outside of the, the industry itself, that people really understood what Jack Shore meant to Philadelphia sports. Don, you're you're so right, and you know we take things we take things for granted. I mean, we work with people, and we've and you know we we've worked with what, what we consider some of the best, and and we've learned from, and I, and on present company, not me, but present company, and when we and we even though we were in competition, because you want to have it first. We we still respected each other and worked together sometimes to to get the story. And Jack was Jack was one of those that, as I said, you watched him because he was around so much and 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 everyone trusted him. There's a key word. He was trusted. So if Jack were working on a story or he had an idea, if it were his idea, I know we all did it. He 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 could go with it first. And then we would get our own what we would call voice cuts or quotes so that uh, we would would learn from him. And again, we would just be a sponge as he was when when he first started, because he actually started when he was in high school. And I think yeah. he went to William Tennant High School. I could be wrong, but he might have gone to William Tennant, but in, outside of Philadelphia. But he was the same way. He was he was another one of the what I call a sports lifer. This is this is what he did. And. And even back in the day when he was freelancing and, and a lot of the pro sports said, oh, no, if, if this isn't your beat, you can't get into the press box. Jack had a seat in the press box or on, or, yeah. or on, the, uh, or on the court. Yeah. You know, Larry. And the other uh, interesting PBS. story about Jack was that uh, uh, as a, a little bit of comic relief, every time he walked by that little room there where it's sometimes used as an office, was Will yeah. Chamberlain's dressing room. He's, yes. He said, <laughs> He said, "That's my locker room." <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I was just going to say uh, the uh, one of the things that uh, uh, you were alluding to um, was, uh, you know, I just uh, I was thinking. Uh, well, I know, yeah. Mike Jensen, uh, uh, I saw another one of his columns, and it was from last year in the passing of Al Schreier, the longtime mm. uh, Temple uh, right. SID, and I would love to hear that conversation oh. up there in the sky when Jack gets up there with Al. What do you think? I, 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 I would, uh, <laughs> I, I, yes, I, I'd love to be there myself, not up there, but I mean, I'd love to hear it. I don't want to get up there. You yet, know, but, I, I think, I think Jack's first question, it would be right Don. what's in your briefcase. Yeah. Well, I think the funny thing, and once again, just to repeat for folks that are listening, Al Schreier was the SID at Temple University for 
I don't know how many years, to be honest with you. It was way before. Uh, uh, I know he was there when Bill Cosby was there, so it was way before that. And uh, he started, you know, he, I believe, he, in 1948. He, is that what is he that started? What it 1948. Was? Yes. Yeah, I yes. didn't know the year well, that he started, but he never he never left Temple. He stayed there until he retired. And you're exactly right. He was in the same mold as Jack Shore in the fact that everything involved in Philadelphia, he did a lot of things administratively. Like if the national championship game was coming into the spectrum, mm-hmm. he was the one that controlled the press. And uh, he's another one uh, that, you know, nobody outside of the business would think of Al Schreier any more than they would think of Jack Shore. Right. And yet they were very intricate parts of sports in Philadelphia. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I was, started at Temple in 61, and Al was there then, just like you said, because uh, Bill Cosby, I used to ride the elevator in Conwell Hall uh, to classes with him, and right. I was uh, pl- playing intramural uh, rough touch for ROTC. We won the championship in 62, and I'll never forget it. One of the ki- uh, kids on the team uh, was a little cocky, and he said to Bill, uh, we're going to be coming out for uh, varsity next year. And he says, and Bill said, I've been reading about you guys. We certainly could use you. And, of course, that's what Temple was less than Division Three, if you can picture that back then. Well, well I think I the other thing is, let me just add that uh, uh, we were going to have Mike Jensen on, but Frank has told me so far he hasn't been able to get in touch with him. And uh, so we're going to keep trying. But uh, as we continue, Jack Shore, the young man we're talking about, a legend in Philadelphia, uh, in every sport, because he covered every single sport from the press box, from the floor, from whatever. And uh, we were chatting about the fact that, and apologizing to folks around the country that would never have heard of the name Jack Shore, but an intricate part of Philadelphia he really is. And, uh, and I, I have to agree with that, uh, Larry. He was a little bit of everything. Well, yeah, even though even though you know, people who who are not from Philadelphia. A lot of a lot of cities have back in the day. Today, today it's a little different because of the way the media is and mass media and so forth, and and online. Um, so it's not so mass media anymore. It's like one to one media, but you know what I'm saying. Um, right. They have a Jack Shore, and this was so. This is our our Jack Shore because he's the original for us, and. And, and in fact, let me throw in, in here that uh, I got approval from uh, his daughter yesterday. The uh, Philadelphia sports writers we we uh, give a number of scholarships each year, and none none carries a name, but we are going to name one of them will be the Jack Shore uh, uh, Memorial Scholarship, and it will go to the foundation for someone uh, majoring in in um, in journalism, sports journalism, broadcast sports journalism. But I mention that I mention that because. It, it's the first time that we've had a name scholarship, and we've gotten a number of donations, not only from uh, local uh, sports writers, uh, but outside outside the area too. So I just I'm just throwing that out that we're going to do it, and I know that the board has to approve it as Roger and you know, but it's the first time, and I just I get goosebumps when I think about it. And his daughter Gail did get back to me last night, and she said uh, she, they're just thrilled. Because this is what uh, Jack would Jack would want, so his name will live on, not an award, but an ac- a scholarship. And and uh, we, there's a, a, a say this quickly. There's a writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, name is Christian Graham, 
And she reminds me, and she's been around, I don't want to say she's been around a long time, but she's been around a long time. Uh, she reminds me every now and then that she received the very first Richie Ashburn scholarship from the Philadelphia Sports Writers Association. So I'm I'm hoping the same thing will happen here with Jack, that, that this will go down, a legacy will be established, and years down the road we'll have the recipient, and each time that it's presented once a year to the recipient, we can spend uh, maybe a minute or two to let people know what a fixture Jack Shore was here in Philadelphia. Well, you know, Roger, some people may, yeah, some people may have uh, seen his name uh, uh, many times in an AP article. Yes. Uh, they'll have the uh, correspondent's name. And uh, I know uh, just uh, the same thing with uh, photography. Uh, you know, uh, a young man I've known that graduated from high school with my son, Mike Zarelli, played baseball sure. at Villanova. He's with the Weather Channel. That's a big job. But he does uh, work for Getty Pictures, you know, at games, the, the mm-hmm. photography. And right. you see his name, you know, in the paper or, you know, on, on uh, line. And, you know, I was thinking you had mentioned this earlier, and, uh, and Don and Frank uh, will get a, a kick out of it. You know, when you, the kids today, they know computers, uh, phones, et cetera. When you think about not that many years ago, how did you file a story uh, like if, if uh, when Jack did a story, if it wanted to go nationwide, like you were saying uh, to other outlets, you know, it, I can remember at the vet, you went up and you put it into a fax machine. And that's how you sent it out across the country was with a fax machine. And who was Henry the guy? Clay. That, Henry Clay. Well, Henry, Henry did it. But also, who was it that controlled the uh, fax machine? Uh, at the at the vet, I know is he died a few oh a number of years ago now, but a really good guy. But th- that's what it was. I remember when uh, they would make the announcement, and that's what Jack would have to do. You know, go up to the fax machine, right. send it out, and it would go to uh, whomever he was sending it to uh, on a local basis. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, when you think about it, uh, I, I've known him for uh, what forty years, and well, me- uh, and I'm. Go ahead, Larry. I was going to let me throw this one out at you, Raj and Don, and 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 even again, folks listening don't have to be from Philadelphia to know this. So I was going to say, I know we're all we're all contemporaries. But I was going to say maybe I'm a little older than you, Raj, but I remember the no, days. No, you're not. No, I know, I'm, <laughs> but I'm kidding when I say it. But I remember the days, particularly at the Spectrum, because the press boxes there were small. They were great view. There, they turn them into suites. That's how good the view was. But I remember. Jack, because uh, of being the Associated Press writer, he would pick up the phone and call wherever the office was at night. He was calling New York pretty much, and he would dictate this story to a a copy. You could be an intern, but whoever was on the other side of the line could be a copy editor, and he would dictate the story just as if he were were typing it. So he would start with the lead – and sometimes you'd have to dictate the story before the game was over and then put a new first paragraph on, depending on, on who won. But the body of the story had already been dictated. And that's amazing when you, when you think about it, because you're talking about, if it were a newspaper, you're talking at least 6, 10, 12 inches of copy. 
and and, yeah. and and you have to remember what it is you said so that you don't repeat it. Although the the person taking the dicta- the dictation would say, "Oh, you've said that already," and then and then they would edit and move it around. But I mean, today, could you imagine even one of us dictating no. a story to to a Can't writer back it. at the bureau? No, 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 <laughs> no. No, not at all. Larry, one other I, I, one of the things since we talked about Al Schreier and we're talking about people now that uh, you know you talk about long longevity with one uh, operation, mm-hmm. of course, uh, with with Al Temple University, and of course we're talking about the great late Jack Shore. We also got to throw Bob Petrone in there too because oh Bob gosh. was another of the uh, he was another of the Philadelphia people and reporters. Uh, that worked at the Bulletin. He worked for. He worked at a number of different places, mm-hmm. uh, and and he was another, you know, probably uh, as well known in Philadelphia, but not known anywhere else. You know, Don, I have to. You know, you mentioned his name, and I owe a lot to Bob Vitrone because I had just come back here. I graduated from college at Parsons in Iowa. I came back and I go to cover a game at um, at uh, the Spectrum, and I meet Bob Vitrone. Uh, and he was, I, oh, he, right. He was, he was now working for the Sixers and he was, I think he was their first public relations person. If I'm not mistaken, he left the, the bulletin and I walked in there and again, I'm 20, 21 years old, maybe 22. And I just gotten here and he hands me my media credentials, my press credentials. And he said, well, welcome. And I said, well, what's this? He said, well, that, he said, you're going to be covering the Sixers. Correct. I said, yes, I am. He said, well, he said, you need credentials. Everyone else had turned me down, even though I was working for a media outlet. I was working for WKDN in Camden back then. And he said, the size of the outlet doesn't make any difference. He said, if you're covering our team, you get credentials. And I never, he never forgot it, and I never forgot it either. Well, I'll tell you another story about Bob Matrone. I was uh, Bill Campbell. uh, Bill and I were working together on the 76ers, and Bill, uh, got ill, uh, and I, I'm going to say uh, yeah, it was an afternoon game, as I remember. It was a Sunday afternoon game, which started at 1 o'clock, and Bill got ill and had to leave, and Bob Vitrone came down, jumped in, and he he, <laughs> he was the color he was the color analyst for the first game I ever did of a 76er broadcast. No kidding. Oh, gosh. Yep. Well, yep. D- didn't he do the color of the Sixers with uh, Big Al Meltzer on 17, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yep, he worked. For, he worked with a number of different outlets, and uh, you're, he worked with Al. He worked with uh, uh, just. Uh, I guess the, the last thing from a, from a funny part, which we can look at now, it didn't happen in those days. But look at now, Buck the bartender. But yes. Yeah. He he yes. he did a column, Buck the bartender, and uh, now every other ad on television is gambling. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, Buck the, if the Buck the bartender had been able to, to, to prognosticate games, he, he'd have made a million bucks. <laughs> and we don't know what we don't know what he made uh, on the uh, streets of Philadelphia, you know, before That's gambling, right. gambling right. was legal because you could bet on almost any corner at any newsstand. <clears throat> I didn't say that, did well, I? <laughs> yeah, no, you were. You're right. But the other thing is when Dan Baker was running the big five, Bob was his assistant. And and I can remember walking into the office and a lot of times Bob would spend the night in the uh, palestra in the office, sleeping in mm-hmm. the office. Hey, listen, you just go down to the locker room, you get a shower, shave, 
and right. uh, you know, change clothes, and you're all. He lived there. Go. He lived there for about three years. <laughs> yes. yes, he I did. Oh, such <laughs> memories. Uh, oh. And 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 you know, we're, I know we're talking, and I know it's uh, it's it, we're talking Philadelphia, so it's local to here. But it's it it happens all over the country. But it's 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 so different because of of technology and so forth. But it's people like a Bob Vitrone or a Jack Shore. And you're right. This 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 is what they did. This is where they live. That's why I said I don't think. In fact, I used to always kid Jack. I said, Jack, you never paid for a meal. And he said, Well, I don't have to. He said, <laughs> Except except um, when Harold Katz owned the Seventy Sixers, and when he bought the Seventy Sixers, I think he served uh, pretzels and potato chips in bags. And then uh, and then when the playoffs came around, uh, the NBA said to Katz, Wait a minute, you've got to feed the media. So he he put out uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and probably ham and cheese. But uh, oh my but God. Jack, yeah, but Jack said Jack said one one of the best things about covering the Philadelphia Eagles was that Leonard Toes, the owner, he would oh. put out a spread on a Sunday morning. Oh. Are you kidding? Oh. <laughs> oh, lobster thumidor, Larry. Lobster there you go. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Roger. The one thing about covering the Eagles and Leonard Toes, what a what a great character he was as well. Oh, absolutely. But if you oh, went absolutely. to Monday Night Football, you went to a Monday Night Football game. <laughs> at Veterans Stadium, and that press box was filled. I mean, every seat in the press box was taken, and the press box was pretty darn big at Veterans Stadium. Yeah. And he served Lobster Newberg. You remember You're that? Right. Every, yeah. every night there was yeah. a Monday night football, everybody got Lobster Newberg. <laughs> that was, their, that was the, a portion of their dinner. Yeah, right. You know, you, you mentioned Leonard Toes. I, yeah, there are a million stories, in, as they say, in the Naked City. But I was when I was at KYW, I did, uh, I did a series on the, the owners of the four major teams. So I go in to interview Mr. Toes, and I'm sitting there, and he gets a call from, uh, from his wife at the time. He was married a few times. And she was landing with a helicopter outside the stadium, and he takes out a bottle of champagne to hand it to somebody to uh, make sure that uh, it's okay when his wife gets there. And he looks at me. And he says, well, I've got another one in here. And he hands me a bottle of champagne. I said, what's this for? He said, take this home to your lovely wife whom we never met. And I said, oh, Mr. Toast, I said, I'm not allowed to accept gifts from anybody. So I had a feeling I knew what he was doing. I had my, my bag with my recorder and all over on the side. And I walk out the door and I said, boy, this bag is heavy. I look inside. There's a nice big bottle of Dom Perignon. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, later, on, I, later on, I did thank him, but I just kept on going because I said, you know, I'm going to take this home. It's not for me. It's for my wife. <laughs> That's right. That's that well, was Mr. Say, people, around, yep. people around the country will never realize uh, Leonard Toes was a very, very unusual guy. We had a chance to play uh, oh, maybe four times a year. He would have his helicopter take us over to high schools in the Philadelphia area, and we'd go in and, and give a little talk about broadcasting, about journalism, about covering the sports and so forth, jump back on the helicopter, come back down to Vet Stadium. <laughs> uh, but he, he, he was he – was, you, you can't say what Leonard Toast was just – an unusual guy. You're, well, you're absolutely yep. He was. And, go ahead, and, Larry. And, and, and I was going to say, and a charitable individual as well. I yeah. know that uh, oh. he lost a lot of money gambling, but but uh, there was no charity uh, that uh, he did not support. And then, and this is uh, the Eagles' charities grew out of out of uh, Leonard Toes. It may have started just before he got there, but he took it 
by far to the next level, and and now it's so strong. The Eagles charities. Yeah, the, the, well, the McDonald's uh, McDonald houses are well. They you know they were started yes. by yes. Uh, by letter toast. Actually, yeah, Jimmy Gallery was. I mean, yeah, Gallagher, Gallagher, was, was it was actually a, a, a. Yeah, Jim Murray was actually a, a very unusual start for that for people that are listening around the country. Uh, one of the Philadelphia Eagle players developed cancer, and they were going around in the stands on Sunday at Sunday, and we taking collections up to send in to help out with the medical bills. And and uh, Leonard Toast called Jim Murray in. He said, "Whoa, wait a minute!" Jim talked about this at the banquet a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and he said he called him in. So you know, we're sponsoring something. I don't know anything about this, and. Uh, they wound up buying the first Ronald McDonald House and mm-hmm. established it, and it was established because Leonard Toast gave them the money. Jimmy Murray started the thing by accident, yes, and Leonard Toast picked it up, and the Philadelphia Eagles and Jim Murray have done it ever since. Every one that opens up, they're there. He's there, Jim Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, you know, Don, the other uh, Eagle owner that uh, was uh, very gracious uh, to a point was uh, uh, Jerry Wallman. Uh, oh yeah! Oh, when we yeah. had him the on, Frank. That, when we had him on, he, yep, he was great. Yep. Uh, yeah, and it, unfortunately, we got him right at the end of his life, and it was such yes. a, a thrill for all of us to uh, have him on. But um, uh, many people talk about, you know, the loss that he had, and the and the roof of the spectrum, and everything. Nobody ever talks about Christmas Eve, him going going up to Eleventh um, and um, Vine. And with a tractor trailer, and there was a, uh, a guy who who uh, used to have toys for carnivals. He bought the tractor trailer to St. Christopher's Hospital for Children, all children's hospital, and and uh, over to uh, St. Vincent's over on hmm. 65th and uh, and Elmwood. And he made sure that every kid in that hospital and every kid in that home had uh, had a toy for Christmas. Wow. Yeah, see, those are things you don't hear about. And I remember when we had him on, cause, uh, and I read his book, and I think we all read it. Each one of us read it. Right. But one of the right. things, I remember I, I asked him the question. I said, uh, you know, Jerry, you took a lot of heat for that, uh, what, 13-year contract to Joe Kuharik. <laughs> and he says, no, that wasn't a 13-year contract to coach. And what I don't, none of us knew that. We thought it was 13 years. And right. Don, I think you called a lot of guys, including Bill Campbell. Nobody knew that that was only 13 years in employment of the Eagles, not as the coach, because the batters right. were on those planes around Franklin Field. Joe must go. Mm-hmm. Joe must go. Remember that, Larry? Oh yes. Oh, I remember that. Yes. Well, but, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, we a lot of a lot of great things happened in Philadelphia that. Uh, you know, people really are not aware of because a lot of the bad things get publicized and a lot of good things sort of go under the boards, unfortunately. And uh, for us for us that are old enough to have lived there for such a long time and uh, know these people firsthand, it's uh, it's really just a, a terrific honor. And Jack Shore uh, is one of those guys that you you meet them, you never forget them. You're right. You know, you're, you're, you are, you're absolutely right. And, uh, well, Larry, and, Jack, and by the way, and Jack, you. by the way, Jack was low key too. I mean, he he was another one uh, that would. Uh, he was just there as if he were a, a shadow under the radar. Under, under the, the radar. radar, correct. 
Yeah. A the fan. Jury was. A fan. Yeah, a fan. Larry, You're right. thank you so very, very much for taking time. And as I said, Mike was supposed to be with us and be on with you partially and then take over himself. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, Frank has not been able to get a hold of him. So uh, I'll apologize for that. But thank you for picking up the extra time. And thank you for all the great stories about Philadelphia. And uh, we'll get that scholarship going. Don't worry about that. All right. Thank you, man. It's it's fantastic. Stay safe, everybody. You too, Larry. Thank you. Best to Nancy. You know, love you too, you. You know that. I know. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Now, I don't know if Mike is uh, on the line yet or or whether uh, he's not. We just got a – a text from Mike that he's sick. Uh, he won't be on tonight. So. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll say we... Sick. Okay. Right. For those people well, that joined us uh, at the top of the show, uh, Tommy uh, Tommy Gilbert's uh, a little bit under the weather, too. He's in a hospital down here in Florida, so he's not able to conduct the show as he normally does each and every week. And uh, now Mike, who normally joins us to talk about Washington, Baltimore, and uh, the world of soccer, because uh, he's very much involved in that soccer world. And uh, so I'm certainly very, very sorry to hear that he's sick. So we'll try to hold things together. And, and uh, Roger, I'll let you pick out something. I jumped into a lot of it. Go ahead. Well, hey, Don, before uh, we do we, that, we, the, the uh, yeah. Tampa Bay is up one nothing in the uh, bottom of the second. Yeah, I had a home run at the top at the top of the first. And, uh, yeah, well they they had a they got a runner to third, but what happened? Uh, the uh, he got thrown out at the plate. I got yeah, yeah thrown back. out at the plate. It was a line. I drive. can't understand I that. I can't understand that was a was a sharp grab ball to third base. And why in the world he'd be going? I mean, uh, maybe you know maybe it was a designated go on contact, but it didn't make much sense to me that. Uh, on that particular, I mean, it was a hard hit ground ball, and he had no chance. He was out by five feet. Uh, yeah, you know, I'll have to wait till the paper tomorrow morning to read about that. Why they did that? Whether he went on his own, uh, or whether the, uh, you know, that was a, a play designated on contact, and he had to go. If it's a, on contact, you got to go. So well, let me but tell anyway, you who I'm, I'm going to try to get a hold of because I got a, a text from him. The other day, TL. So uh, we'll we'll talk, and uh, I'll try to get him on the other phone. Okay, fine. But, but uh, I'll tell you, Don. We can talk about uh, uh, everything that's going on. I mean, the Eagles and uh, the Falcons. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what goes on there. I can tell you that. Well, especially uh, especially since the Eagles and Giants are playing uh, tomorrow night. In Philadelphia, and both teams have one win. <laughs> uh, can you imagine that? Uh, as we talked about the Eastern Conference and the Eastern Division, and uh, uh, you know, to think that the Eagles and the Giants, two of the premier teams of all, and the Dallas Cowboys are not far behind. I think they have two wins of them. I don't have the paper in front of me. Hey, we're going to have. Hold on a minute, Don. We've got yeah. our man on with me. Okay. Here we go. Tom LeMaine. Okay, Tom, you're on with Don, Frank, and Roger, one of our favorite people. Tommy, hear me, Tommy, Tom? give us. Uh, yep, I'm good. Go ahead. Go ahead. Give Don. us a th- give us a thumbnail sketch on tomorrow night's Eagles Giants game. Uh, 
see what I got. What? What? Do they still make no dose? <laughs> I, I don't know what to make out of this season here. You know, I got a guy named Jones and and uh, funny a quarterback for the Giants, and a guy named Jones Smith Harris and whoever's starting for the offensive line for the Eagles. I mean, you know, I I've never I don't think I've uh, ever seen a team decimated. Uh, as much as the uh, Eagles have been with injuries. And, um, you know, there was an interesting point that I made uh, just a couple of days ago, before that even. And uh, right after the Eagles won the uh, Super Bowl, at that time the Eagles uh, led the league in the least amount of injuries. I mean, they had a very healthy team that went into that Super Bowl. Very true. And for some reason – for some reason, the Eagles fired their entire medical staff. Right. That was in what your text the other day. What? You're exactly yeah. right. Why, why did that happen? And as a result now, well, you see the result. The Eagles are starting third stringers because of injuries. So I, I, I just don't know what the thinking was behind that. Um, you know, but apparently it was not the right move to make based on the outcome of the injury situation with the Eagles. Roger? Well, you know, Tom, the uh, we can get to uh, hockey for a second because uh, I guess they they still have not had a date uh, to start uh, the uh, the league season, have they? No, they uh, originally had December one. I think it was pushed back to January now, but uh, no, they have not. That's correct. Uh, set on date to, to start the season. Well, I I hope that uh, at least they'll they'll keep it at uh, January uh, one. Um, a lot of uh, well, Bet, uh, Roger, Roger. Let me interrupt for a second to say Bettman just said two days ago, as Tommy did, they're hopeful of January first, but they're not saying it's definitely going to be January first. I think they're waiting, like everybody else, for what happens with the virus. So, uh, but he yeah. did say, as Tommy just indicated, January first was the target date as of right now. Well, the well, other, you know, if they, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Tom. If they, if they, um, if they, if the, if the National Hockey League can operate the way they operated in the bubble, I mean, I mean that you don't want to see that again. You hope something can be established before that. But you know, of the four major sports, I thought hockey handled the whole situation best. They did. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So they can, uh, if they're thinking about sticking to that formula if, uh, you know, as Don said, the uh, COVID situation is, is still the way it is now, uh, I would think that they may think, well, you know, it worked before, let's try it again, let's try let's try at least get the season started with the same formula we had when we uh, played right on through the Stanley Cup. Well, and, and baseball uh, in the, in the uh, playoffs has basically done the same thing uh, keeping everything at uh, at one uh, ballpark, one for the national, one for the American, uh, which yes. I think makes sense, and it seems like it's uh, it's worked pretty well. Uh, basketball, basketball as well down down yeah. in Orlando. That's right. Yeah. And to, and to substantiate your point, Roger, uh, the the sport that didn't do that is the one that's having the most problems, and that's football. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. One of the other things uh, we we'll talk about the Phillies a little bit. Uh, the uh, a lot of 
uh, uncertainty about uh, Rio Muto, but I don't think they should sign him because I think it just uh, takes too much capital uh, away from filling uh, holes in, in their uh, lineup that they need. What do you think uh, will happen? you have any idea? Well, you, you might have a point there because uh, how well did the Phillies do with Rio Muto? Uh, right. Uh, the holes, <laughs> it's uh, you know, the holes is a is basically the uh, the relief core. I mean, there's no uh, relief is a bad word when it comes to the Phillies bullpen. Um, it's an anomaly because there was no relief. I mean, no matter what they tried, who they brought in, uh, it didn't work. And uh, the pitching coach has retired. Uh, I uh, you know you you may you know uh, what you're probably Rationalizing, Roger, is the money you're going to spend on Muto and go out and get some arms. But I, you know, uh, they tried to do that during the season, and it didn't work. No, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I say that I hate to say that because uh, to me, Riamuto is not only the best catcher in baseball; he's one of the top five players in baseball. Players, I mean, right. uh, you, you don't usually say that about a catcher. No, I agree but, with uh, you. I agree. Don, uh, you know, I think I think everybody agrees. I think the one thing is, how much can you spend? You got three hundred thirty million at Harper, and uh, I guarantee you that he's gonna he's gonna command somewhere between unless things really go south, uh, between one hundred ninety million to two hundred ten million. And boy, oh boy, I mean, I, I realize that the Phillies are not strapped for money. They have plenty of money, <laughs> but uh, you know, more importantly, well, if they have plenty. If- if they have plenty of money, Don, why did the team owner say that they, they were hurting because of not having fans in the stands? I mean, uh, if you have plenty of money, I don't think you, you really feel that uh, not having attendance and, and uh, money at the gate is, is going to be a problem for you. Well, I think he brought it on himself. Uh, remember, you remember last year, Tom, and, and Roger as well, uh, he made a, a real emphasis of saying, uh, we're going to be spe- we're dumb spenders, or we're going to be dumb right. spenders. So I don't remember the exact terminology, but it's something like that. And we're going to go out and spend money to get people. Well, uh, it's great that he got Harper. I mean, that's a that's a nice move. But uh, I'd rather set, take that same amount of money and spend it into five pitchers who maybe are free agents, or maybe you could sign a, or something. You have to have pitching. If you don't have pitching. You don't have anything, and and that's what they wound right. up with here. And Joe Girardi had nowhere to go. He couldn't go to the bullpen. He couldn't go to a starter. He he was, he was just lost. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I said this before. I think when I was talking to you guys, I I, I think you have to give uh, Joe Girardi a full season here. At, uh, oh, sure. at, and like I mean, I'm not making any excuses here because the. Uh, Baseball season was an anomaly for all the teams. But, uh, you know, Joe, as I say about catchers who are managers of baseball teams, they know how to handle the pitching staff. But as you said, Don, you know, you you, you, you know, you can't put lipstick on a pig. I mean, what they had is what they had out there in the bullpen. And uh, if you, you know, if you sign real probably thinking – we're going to have to outscore everybody. Well, you know, uh, the Phillies could average six runs and still have a five-game losing streak. Right. <laughs> I, that's right. I mean, that, 
it was it was that way. I mean, Dugas win what one of their last eight games, and they would be in the playoffs. And, yeah. I mean, who knows what would happen in the playoffs? But uh, apparently, right now, the uh, the cream is rising to the top because I think, as I mentioned to you guys before the playoffs started, you might as well put the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers in the uh, World Series and get on with it. And that's what's happening here. Absolutely. Well, it's not fair. To, it's not fair to compare, but they did a uh, piece of the paper. I think it was in the post yesterday. I read it uh, because of the shortest only playing a sixty-game schedule. The Rays payroll this year was twenty-nine million dollars. Uh, now you got to remember they did play, uh, you know, one hundred sixty-two games. They they played sixty, uh, and when you uh, you know you cut down the salary on on everybody, depending on how much it was. Uh, the race salary was $29 million. Now, and they were <laughs> playing for the World Series. Well, and and, and the uh, uh, the Phillies had more than that invested, and I'm sure Harper got uh, more than that this year. You know, what, uh, I would, uh, Don, you probably know better than I do. Uh, last season, um, uh, what, what the – what was the attendance average for the Tampa Bay Rays? Very low. Well, right, Don? Frank? I, I, didn't, I didn't hear what Tom said. The, the attendance average last year, not this past uh, season, this season, last oh, the, year the, the attendance average. Oh, for the Rays down? The, uh, somewhere between eleven to 12,000. Yeah, well, and. Uh, they, I think they know, were the second. Talking. They were the second low. Frank may, Frank may know better than I, but I think they were the second. Miami was the lowest, and I think uh, Tampa Bay was second. Well, that, that goes back to uh, what I've always thought. You know, Florida is not a uh, summer baseball state. It's a winter baseball state. They, right. get more, they get more people showing up for spring training. But if you're going back to what you said, Don, about the payroll that Tampa Bay raised, if you're going to use John Middleton's math, then he says he really counts on revenue coming from uh, putting uh, fans in the seats. Well, uh, I guess that goes twice for the Tampa Bay Rays. Maybe that's all they can afford. I mean, I don't know what their contract is with the with their television network down there, but it can't be very big. It can't be, you know, comparable to uh, Philadelphia. No, certainly. But no. Uh, so, if, if they're two, if they're uh, between the two teams, I would imagine one team that counts more on attendance uh, revenue would be the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, that's all they can afford. So that's all they can afford to play to pay the players. And you know what does that say? That says a lot. That's all to say about the manager of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays to, uh, to you know get them to where they are right now. He's he's certainly done a great job. He sure has. You know, Tom, we were talking earlier with Larry uh, Litwin about uh, the passing of Jack Shore. And you know, maybe you would like to uh, tell a little bit about. Uh, uh, you know, you've known him a long time. You were around him, and uh, you know we know, we know he's a legend. Uh, some maybe a memory that you uh, have of Jack. Let's well, just before we do that. Before we do that, uh, just, let me just say that to to Frank, uh, he just told me said something on the intercom. But uh, you guys were talking, and I couldn't hear exactly what he was saying. So you guys uh, talk about Jackie Shore, and, and I'll get to Frank and see what we have on the line. Okay, go ahead, Tom. You know, Jack, uh, and as I said to you, I think, Raj, your, uh, your life was not complete unless you had a trivia question asked to you by Jack Shore. Right. And uh, he came up with some pretty good ones. Uh, 
you know, we'd be in the press box there, and he'd tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, who uh, put the winning home run in the 1929 World Series? <laughs> Whatever you came up with, you know. And it was always a good one. But uh, Jack was, you know, Mr. Hoops. I mean, he, uh, there was nobody, I, I don't think there was anybody who spent more hours inside the Palestra than Jack Shore. Right. Uh, either covering the game or playing the pickup games. Uh, he was a he was he was he was a basketball nut. I mean, you know, if you're talking about a a gym rat, that was uh, Jackie Shore, and uh, he uh, he was he was able to still play in those pickup games uh, well into his eighties. I mean, he uh, he, he loved basketball, and uh, you know, he, he college basketball. You would you know, I said, wait a minute, you going to the Sixers game or you going to the Game. He said, "Is that a question?" <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, thank you very much for jumping in with us, and uh, thank Roger as well for getting you on, getting you on the line. We appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Doug is now standing by, and uh, I just mm. read a big article on Tiger. Tiger's going to play this mm. week, so he's going to get ready for the Masters. And I know mm. that uh, of all the players on the the docket this weekend. Uh, Doug's got the winning, uh, the winning uh, golfer, so he'll make a lot of money if you listen to his tip. How you doing, yeah, partner? I don't, know about, yeah, I don't know about that, buddy. I mean, the only, the only way I could win a Superfecta right now is if there were five horses in the field and I bet them all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you this, the, the golf gambling is getting more and more publicity. I, I mean, I can't believe it. I never really heard of golf gambling. Mm-hmm. Until the last couple of years, now I realized, yeah. you know, we really had no sports to talk about for such a long period mm-hmm. of time, and and mm-hmm. golf and, and in some cases racing could go because yeah. they didn't need people there. But holy smokes, the the bookmakers uh, mm-hmm. uh, have yeah. a field day down that down that golf's being played every week. Well, you you can uh, I know that um, that's a referendum question uh, on the ballot here in Maryland is about. Uh, you know, allowing sports book gambling. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly going to vote a yes for that one. I mean, obviously there's a lot of hand in the cookie jar with regard to, you know, where, where some of those proceeds would go for, you know, the, uh, the budget of Maryland, whether it's, you know, education or, or whatever. So obviously there's a juxtapose between, you know, making it legal for people to degeneratively gamble versus the amount of monies that get brought in and where that, where those proceeds go. So, um, as you mentioned, I mean, you get on any of those, you know, what is it, DraftKings or or any of those, uh, you know, online type type gambling. I mean, you can just like in just like in horse racing, I mean, you can bet a ten cent superfecta all the way up to whatever you want to bet. You know what I mean to win. You know, you, right, you have, right, right. You know, oh, they, give you this, they give I you a salary. They give you a yeah. Yeah, I I could I couldn't believe it. I can't remember the team. I wish I could tell you the team, but somebody down in Florida bet two million dollars on on the mm. game and won two million dollars. Wow. I, mean, I, I I can't imagine uh, it. I don't care how much money you have. How can you bet yeah. two million dollars on a sporting event? That just doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. It's crazy. Well, I, but, I, I, my boy, I my boy Webb Simpson. My boy Webb Simpson is still trying to win. He's sixteen to one this yeah. week. And uh, he's he's one of the he's one of the guys at the top. But Berger's also in there, and he had he, he got off yeah you know, he got off that red hot start at the beginning of the year. But he's mm-hmm. he's I mean he's playing medium medium golf. Yeah, he's not had, had challenge for a win. 
What's new in the Columbia Golf Club as we look forward to the Masters? Let's let's get away from the gambling for a minute. Let's find sure. out what's uh, what's really on tap for the Masters. Well, you know, we uh, I think you, you took a little week hiatus on. I think you used a week's vacation on us last week. So, you know, we, we were talking about, um, you know, the the oddity, if you will, of the Masters being in November based on, on the COVID, you know, moving in. Right. Um, you know, and, and what that what that means for, for golf. I mean, obviously, you um, in years past, Tiger usually has his, his hero and, and kind of the quote-unquote, as Fred Couples used to call it, the silly season when, you know, they, they might do some team stuff or some less, you know, known type, uh, you know, events that, that, that are played towards the end of the season as they gear up to start the new season in Hawaii. So, you know, moving the Masters, I mean, obviously, pe- people are still, um, you know, excited about the golf season in terms of, you know, professionals that are playing, obviously, that, that are trying to get their game square to, to go to Augusta and, and, and what that means to them to play in the Masters. So, um, where in normal years, as I mentioned, you'd be you'd be on the tail end and at the letdown stage of of golf when it comes to, I mean, we, we missed out on the Ryder Cup, which which really stinks because that's, that's so incredibly, I, I love the Ryder Cup in September and you know, you, you, you and I have talked about the need, if you will, for sports for all the different people that watch and, you know, the things that we were trying to do to fill that void uh, while we didn't have live sports. And, and now we're, we're inundated with, you know, the the start of college football season, you know, start stop of college football season and, um, you know, professional, I'm watching the world series right now. Um, you know, obviously the, you know, it's good to be a, a Tampa Bay uh, resident to, to watch all the different, uh, you know, stuff that's going on. And I'm, I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for Tampa right. here to, I'm rooting for Tampa to win the world series, you know, with such a limited payroll that they have playing against, you know, it's, what is it? And, and David bent down and picked up a rock kind of a scenario um, looking at, at the payroll of the Dodgers, um, you know, and what that means. So there's so many really cool things that are going on in the sports world right now. And, I uh, believe if you're a horse racing fan, you got the Breeders' Cup coming up in another week or two that kind of sets some of the stage for uh, what what happens in um, some of the, the majors, if you will, of, of uh, horse racing for the following season. And, um, you know, the NBA concluded, you know, the Masters you have coming up. You know, so there's so many really cool things to, uh, you know, attract different people to the sporting world right now. It's really great. How about your uh, Ravens? They almost took the apple on Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles. They're looking at the game. They went a runaway. And uh, I didn't get to see as much of it down here in Florida mm-hmm. because uh, we had to wait till the first game was over. I already got the last three or four minutes, but uh, that yeah. turned out to be a big part of the game because they tried sure. to win it. But uh, I, I can't imagine a Ravens struggling that hard with the Eagles. What happened? Right. Well, um don't think for a moment after I clicked the TV off uh, on Sunday that I didn't sit there and go through some scenarios of, uh, you know, the different questions that were going to be asked of me on, you know, tonight as I recap that game. So let me just start by saying if, if you were sitting in the, in the, in the seats and, and I were, you know, coach Harbaugh or anybody else up on the podium, you know, knowing that you just asked that question, I'm going to call it pointed because I know that you're a Philadelphia Eagles guy. I'm going to dismiss that because I'm going to dismiss that because in my opinion, you saw three minutes of 60, the other 57, the Eagles didn't belong on the same football field. So, I mean, if, if, I mean, Carson Wentz has zero time to throw the football, 
Um, they had no running game. Um, as I've mentioned, Zach Ertz isn't even a, a function in their offense, really. They're down to their third and fourth string offensive linemen and receivers that catch the football that you've never heard of. Um, right. It's, I mean, they made a game out of the end of it, but you know, I think I think the Ravens smelled the blood in the water as they started. They they scored the thirtieth point. It was over after the third uh, quarter. Uh, well, they they started making like Marcus Peters is a very you know, riverboat kind of a, a corner that gets beat a lot because he, he jumps routes and tries to make plays and pick the ball off. And he got – both him and Humphrey got beat on some of those jump balls that, that were thrown to the receivers that should have either been knocked away or, or intercepted. And Carson Wentz had no – the only thing he could do is throw the ball up for grabs because he had no time to actually go through his progressions of reading receivers. He didn't have enough time to throw the football, so he just chucked it up there and hoped that someone caught it. And on several occasions, they did. And to your point, though, Don, as a Ravens fan, I mean, it got a little interesting at the end. You know, obviously, had they made the two-point conversion to tie it, and then maybe you start to sweat a little bit, obviously, you know, nearing that point or at that point. Um, you know, but the sad part is that if the Eagles play like that against the Ravens, they they should easily win their division. It's such a – I mean, the Cowboys are awful. The Giants oh, are worse right. than awful. Um, I mean, I, it's that is a really – and the Redskins, I mean, it's They're just awful. a battle of attrition. <laughs> a battle of attrition, it is. I mean, the game that's on tomorrow night is what, the Eagles-Giants? I mean, that's the, – the, the, the Eagles should easily win that football game because the Giants are bad. They're, they're just – I mean, I don't know. It's It's – it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, you look around football and see, you know, even I was excited for Monday Night Football. Um, the Chiefs-Bills, I thought, was going to be a good football game, and it it really wasn't. Um, you know, I, I don't really understand. I mean, I, I get the whole Buffalo wanting to run the football and, and keep, you know, Kansas City's offense off the field, but, you know, when you're down points and you're still running the football and you're not even breaking the huddle and trying to, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I just don't understand some of these NFL football teams and what their game plans are. It was kind of like when, when the Ravens played um, the Chiefs and they got their rear ends handed to them, you know, they just – what they were doing wasn't working, but they were like, well, we're just going to do more of it. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it's just I, – I don't get game planning of some of them. So it's almost like you you shove all your chips to the to the table and say, I'm going to do this game plan. And then when you get there and it doesn't work, you look around like, what do I do now? I just got to keep doing it. You know what I mean? It it doesn't work. Um, (laughs) You know, I I feel bad if you're an Eagles fan because, you know, Miles Sanders is a decent running back. Of course, he gets hurt. I don't even know if they have some Boston Scott guy that's going to run the football. I don't know if he's any good or not. But, you know, Carson Wentz, he really isn't that bad of a quarterback. Um, But he just doesn't have time to throw the football. And even if he does have time to throw the football, he doesn't have anybody. I mean, he doesn't have all Sean Jeffrey. He doesn't have Deshaun Jackson. He doesn't have anybody. Travis or uh, Tra- uh, 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 Zach Ertz is, is Ertz. hurt. I mean, they, they they don't have anybody to catch the football. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know what. Well, you do. they also don't have Dallas Goddard, you know, who's a great uh, yeah. also a, another uh, tight end. And uh, I think the guy that uh, is playing tight end uh, is that Richard Rogers. That's the guy that yeah. used to be at Green Bay. Okay. Well, isn't uh, last year Lane Johnson? Isn't Lane Johnson hurt about uh, Peter? Yeah, Jason he's hurt. They, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Jason Peters is out, and Lane Johnson. They, uh, according to the uh, what the uh, Eagles reported today, he is going to play, and Deshaun Jackson's going to play tomorrow yeah. night. I, I mean, uh, we'll wait I, I would say if if the Eagles lose a game or two more, I say you deal Fletcher Cox for all you can get for him. Mm-hmm. And well, I think the other thing you just said. He says uh, Lashawn Jackson was going to play. I read the same thing, uh, uh, Roger. And uh, but boy, to me, every time he comes, pulls a hamstring or does something, he comes back for one game and he pulls it again. You know, right, yeah. I don't know. Have, have they left? Do you think they've left him out long enough to to totally recoup and be ready to be an effective receiver for the Eagles? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, only time will tell. But I think time has caught up with uh, Deshaun Jackson. Mm, Eight maybe. Yeah. It might yeah. not be speed, it gets... but it, it can be health. It uh, no. definitely gets harder, that's for sure. Well, it does. Well, I mean, in, in every. I was, I was I just mean... surprised last week because, you know, what was it? 17, 15, 17, and nothing. It looked like they were going to blow the Eagles away. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm I'm not watching the game as I said we 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 didn't get sure. the game down here in Florida uh, wasn't it mm-hmm. wasn't a prime game but um, next thing I look up and I'm there, and the Eagles are going to win the game <laughs> I, right. I couldn't believe it right yeah well I mean, they went was, for a uh, couple of two you know two point yeah. uh, conversions and uh, if they had uh, kicked a, a one point you know normal and they got them they would have had a tie game going to OT yeah for sure. Yeah, but uh, the the Baltimore defense for most of that game looked uh, really good. They were able to get some pressure on on Wentz. Uh, they stopped the run uh, very handily. Um, they 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 confused a lot of their receivers. Um, you know, of course, ha- having a, a kicker like Tucker who can make you know fifty plus yarders fairly easy helped uh, when they got kind of stalled in in some of those spots. He made a couple long field goals and. Um, you know, if, if you're a Ravens fan, as I am, and I'm watching the game, I'm pretty happy with, you know, through, you know, halftime and into the third quarter watching them do kind of whatever they wanted to do. I, I still think that Lamar Jackson, their run game isn't as dominant as it was. They're not really getting chunk yards. And Lamar Jackson doesn't – he doesn't look the same as he did last year. I mean, I know people knock on him because he doesn't throw the football, um, you know, as well as some of these – prototypical NFL quarterbacks do. Uh, I certainly think he throws it, you know, well enough, um, but he, he slings a lot of these passes. He throws passes that are, you know, um, you know, kind of, it's like backyard f- football and, you know, they're not timely. He doesn't, he doesn't sit back there and, and get to his back foot and, and hit people when they get to their break. And, you know what I mean? Like they he just, he makes plays happen, but he doesn't, doesn't look, it, it just, I don't know. It looks like it just looks like you're you're at recess and there's one football and he's your quarterback and you're just gonna run around until you get open and he's gonna throw you the ball. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't look natural. Um, so well, that needs Doug, to be cleaned cleaned up. Doug, there's there's some of the things that they talked about from a scouting standpoint before he was drafted in that first round because uh, yeah. exactly what you're saying. You know, he was so erratic with throwing the ball. Now it didn't seem like he was erratic as much as this this year. Of course, I guess he's been a little bit more erratic than he was last year. But before we get back to that, let me ask you one quick question about: Yeah, is the grass going to make any difference now that you know now that they're playing the playing the Masters in almost November? Is, is the grass going to be yeah. any different? What 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 type of grass do they have at the Masters? 
Well, I mean, well, I think we did uh, touch on this, but I, I am under the impression that they completely resotted the whole entire, you know, facility. Um, at one point oh, in time, man. they had, I don't know if it was a drone or some version of aerial coverage that, that the the earth was barren. And I believe that they just, you know, rolled in a bunch of trucks and, and unrolled sod. And, and you know, like I had joked about before, who knows if they, you know, had some laboratory cultured, you know, uh, you know, bloomed, you know, uh, plants and stuff that they wanted to put. I, I don't know. I mean, they, you know, you're Augusta, you can do whatever you want to do. But, um, I mean, typically this is played in April, obviously, as we know. So, um, I mean, is it somewhat out of rotation in terms of, you know, a lot of times they, they go to Hawaii and then they come to Florida and then they make their treks into different places. So there's a rotation that they typically follow for, you know, types of grass, whether it's Bermuda or bent or, you know, combinations of that, um, you know, people get used to in terms of the playing conditions. So, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing, uh, um, let's see, what would, most of the time in the South, there's a lot of there's a lot of Bermuda grass, um, but I, I don't know that that's. I think Augusta's got to be bent grass, I would assume. Um, let's uh, let's maybe. just say it uh, for those people that are listening right now. Doug, of course, the head professional, and yeah. we talk with him uh, about golf each and every week, and he handles all aspects of the golf course at his club, uh, from the the people that take care of the grounds to the yeah. uh, assistant pros to himself. And uh, mm-hmm. how long have you been running? How long have you been the head man at that club? Oh man, this is uh, let's see, I'm closing out here 16 there, so I was just a little young pup when I started there. I have plenty of gray hair now. And mention the club, Doug Hayesfield Country Club, correct? Yep, yep, located uh, in the, the countryside rolling hills of Baltimore County. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of acreage there. I mean, we're 200 plus acres, and and uh, it was uh, originally a, a working plantation that cultivated Timothy hay, hence the name Hayfields. And um, it's a very fertile ground. That um, you know, we 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 found uh, three different aquifers, uh, you know, drilling for water um, in terms of our irrigation systems, and um, you know, obviously being being farmed, you know, after years and years of you know, either fertilizer or, you know, you know, uh, organic matter, we'll say, um, you know, the, the grounds are very lush. It's bent grass, tea to green. And, um, you know, once you kind of get into the fall and some of that spring, the, the rough, we typically mow at about three inches, we can get really dense and thick and, and become a problem. Um, it's a link style golf course, so very open, um, you know, the very generous in terms of its, um, landing spots, very, very appealing and pleasing to the eye in terms of what you see in the background and, and the, you know, the landscape and where it's set. Um, that's a, that whole area, there's a lot of, a lot of horse country in that area, a lot of, you know, like good scenery. The fall foliage is, is beautiful, although we don't, most of our trees are consistent of pine trees, not, not any leaf bearing trees. So, um, you know, some of your courses that you guys with the Tommy would typically remark about in, in uh, that Philly area that I know that I've played have, old school kind of very undulating uh, greens, uh, rolling fairways, lots of trees and leaves, um, narrow type fairways where if you, if you miss it, you're kind of, you know, you're penalized because you're off the fairway under a tree. Um, you know, this is a little bit different style of golf uh, yet, you know, it's got good characteristics to it. If you play the golf course, it's not, 
you know, the freeway style where you, you, you know, a lot of your public courses where you tee off and you play up the fairway, your next hole, you move over and you play down the other side and, you know, you just kind of go back and forth. This, this uh, takes you out and in just like, like you should, um, you know, and it's, it's a really, it's a really nice place. There's a lot of really good people there too. So. Well, that's why I asked you about it because uh, you know, I know you're familiar with the grass turning now and as you go from uh, September, October into November and uh, yeah. play winter rules or whatever you play at your club. Sure. But that's mm-hmm. why I asked you whether it was going to be a monumental change for them play now the masters with the kind of grass i not into what kind of grass they had whether it was going to make any kind of difference well to to your point don i I would think you know normally um you know once once you're in that april area and and people are quote unquote gearing up and playing uh, a fairly set tournament schedule as it leads up into the masters your practice time then is uh competitive rounds and other tournaments at other facilities where you know, in this case, I think you'll see a lot of guys that uh, that are playing practice rounds specifically at Augusta in preparation because of the lax, if you will, in terms of the schedule that they maybe don't want to compete right. necessarily in tournaments, so to speak, if if that makes sense. Um, that they're kind of, you know, targeting this particular um, event and and playing, you know, lots of practice rounds. Um, well, we're, we're just familiarizing themselves well, with it. In addition to the fact that a lot of these guys are you know, historical, you know, players that have played there a number of times over the years anyway, you know, so. Well, Mickelson got himself on the right track going to the seniors. He's now played twice on the seniors sure. and won both times and going to yep. give him a little momentum going back to the Masters. So uh, at least he thinks it's going to give him momentum. He, he talked a great deal about it uh, the early part mm-hmm. of this week. And uh, I'm assuming anytime you win, you, you feel a heck of a lot better than yeah. going a year without doing anything. Roger? Sure. Yeah, the uh, I wanted to get back to the um, Masters. Uh, you know, I found mm-hmm. uh, it's very interesting when you mention about the turf, Doug, uh, because mm-hmm. uh, my uh, uh, my cousin's uh, son went to Penn State, and he majored mm-hmm. in uh, turf management, and he's uh, got a, yeah. a full-time job working for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays down in Florida in yeah. Dunedin. And what mm-hmm. happened is when they found out, I may have mentioned this before, when they found out that uh, they were not, the Blue Jays were not going to be able to play in Canada, they were only mm-hmm. used to playing on uh, turf in the south. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now they're going to be playing in Buffalo. So they sent him from Florida up to Buffalo to check out the turf because then they had to make uh, adjustments, okay, mm-hmm. in everything. And I, I, you know, and you don't think about that so much until it's presented sure. to you uh, uh, that, you know, you from Florida to New York, upper, upstate New York, totally different turf. And you got to uh, yeah. uh, look at it well, and adjust. And when you talk about like Southern Pennsylvania, Maryland, and probably, you know, the top half of Virginia and when well, you throw in some Delaware and some DC and maybe some of West Virginia, but that's, that whole area is is kind of cooler. It's a it's it's a transition zone, if you will, for grasses. You know, your your seasons are, are pretty distinct as they come. You have a in some cases a fairly harsh winter, and you have to you have to have grasses that are very tolerable to uh, not just extreme heat that we have here in July and August, but also the the very you know the cool what they call the term is is winter desiccation when you get 
you know, uh, you know, super cold weather and, and all these different. It's, so it's it's almost there's so many microclimates, if you will, in our in our region that it makes it extremely difficult to be a superintendent and uh, you know plan for different diseases and and um, you know you can have extremely moist and, and wet summers. You can have drought. You can have I mean you have all these different factors where you know south of that area you know you have um, a Bermuda grass which is extremely, you know, it, it's, it's a great grass for the south, yet when it gets cooler, it turns brown. So what do they do? They overseed it with, with ryegrass typically to make it green again. But you, you know, as well as anybody, Roger, you know, in, in Atlanta, I mean, you're going to get probably, what, nine to ten months of, of really, you, you don't get super harsh frosts typically. You don't get really bad winters. You don't, you know what I mean? It's about the right. same temperature for most of this, for most of the year, you know, add a little, a couple degrees to that, you know, but when you're here in, in, in Maryland and it's 85 degrees at night in August, you know what I mean? It, you know, and you're trying to throw a bunch of water on your golf course. Well, that mo- that same moisture that, that keeps that grass alive also breeds diseases. So, you know, with that comes what you have to spray this or you have to do this. So there's being a superintendent, thank God I'm not, but being a superintendent in this area is very difficult. And I, I have a lot of respect for uh, all the hard work that they do to make preparations for, for golfers to play on really good turf. Well, Tiger's uh, taking his time off to let his back heal up once more, and he's going to give it a shot, I guess, this week just to have a warm-up yeah. uh, tournament before he goes to the Masters to defend mm-hmm. his title of last year. Uh, everybody's hopeful uh, that he can uh, be mm-hmm. competitive and, and keep it going. What do you think? Well, I knew one person uh, that he's not going to call for a recommendation on what to serve at the dinner the night before, and that's Fuzzy Zeller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, he's Tiger's. Tiger's been quiet all year. Um, you know, I don't know that he was able to ever really uh, get himself into a groove and. Um, you know, I don't know. It's it's obviously you can look at any sport, and, and the first thing people say is is how bizarre the year has been, and we have you know uh, reduced seasons and and weird player pools, and you know obviously all these CDC guidelines and all these different things. So I don't know that really anybody ever got a chance to get into the groove, so to speak, in terms of their season. And as we mentioned, I mean, you know, Tiger's in his mid midish forties, so you know it's it it's hard. You know, he's trying to hang on and, and get get to those last couple majors but um you know i wish him well and i he's always been my favorite so i i hope he plays well well we'll leave it on that uh, thanks again doug as always yeah. we'll get together again next week doug, right, on the eve week. Of, um, right on the eve of the uh of the masters and all the things that uh, are going on and who do the ravens play this sure. week i don't have to think uh they have a bye this week so i i, uh, I, okay. I, I have to yeah i have to be a redskins fan this week I'm sorry, a Washington football team. All right. Frank tells me, tick, tick, tick. Our time is up. And uh, yep. thank you very, very much. And thanks to everybody. Tom LeMay jumping in, obviously. Uh, Larry Lippert jumping in, talking about Jack Shore, one of the really sports heartbreakers in the city of Philadelphia who passed away. Roger, uh, always a pleasure to get together with you. Frank, another always great job on the controls. Mr. Henderson. And uh, Have a great week. We get, God bless. Hope we, and we get, hope Tommy we get together well. with Get Mike next week and uh, see what happened with Mike tonight that we didn't that we didn't get him on as well. Okay, thanks everybody.
Frank, Thanks. it's all yours. All right. Thanks, Frank. Ladies Masterful job as always for us and taking care of us. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please make sure that you let them know that you know that they're there. These are very tough times for everybody in uniform. <clears throat> these programs are also dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Patrolman uh, Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Patrolman uh, Detective uh, Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henry, Lieutenant Mike Serba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafo Christman, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogel, Longbow Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Brian uh, Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA, Highway Patrol, Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kyloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant uh, Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. FDLE, FDLE Inspector Vinnie Galaccio. Uh, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Ballard, Kissimmee Police Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Office, uh, Deputy Clay Zerber, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Natalie, uh, uh, Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your feet. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night and God bless. Shemalek ma'yilama Shemahezahilma Suna shenevoratfet Hakuigaget ma'yilma
fiery blade engaged to lead, he'd break the bravest in the